With that, will you take your Bible, please, and uh, meet me in the New Testament book of Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. It was July 23rd, 1990, when I first encountered the language barrier. I was in Europe on a missions trip, and on that particular Monday, uh, or that particular Monday, found me and my team in France. We were staying at a KOA-type campground that attracted uh, visitors and vacationers alike. We were doing street theater, talking to people about Jesus using the four spiritual laws as a general guide. We'd just come from, uh, from Scotland where everyone spoke English. Now, however, that was no longer the case. After our program that balmy summer evening, I found myself with a group of guys my age. If memory serves, I think there were four of them, five including myself. A group of guys my age from Germany. And they spoke very, very little English, and I spoke absolutely no German. Which made our conversation very interesting. But with our Bible open before us and the four spiritual laws as well, we talked, we just sat there and we talked about God's plan from the beginning of creation and our rebellious deviation from that plan and about our human need to be forgiven by God and reconciled and restored. And we considered Jesus, who is God, and was sent by God to rescue us from our sinful rebellion by suffering in our place. And then we just lingered around the campfire in discussion for a while about how to respond to the love of God and to such an amazing display of grace. And when I say that we talked and discussed, you have to again remember there are a lot of hand motions, finger pointing, Bible reading, and doing the best that we can. You know, I pulled out my journal from that trip that summer this week just to refresh my memory, and as I reread parts of the journal, I noted that on that particular day, that's how I know the date, July 23rd, 1990, I know that on that particular day, but nearly 30 years ago, I noted how absolutely insecure I felt, how completely incapable I thought I was, um, how, how impossible the task seemed to me at the time, and then how astonished, utterly astonished I was when two of those guys prayed to receive Christ. The Lord, and this again, this is what I wrote in my journal, the Lord overcame my inexperience and the language barrier itself to welcome two more people to himself and into his eternal kingdom. 
In the second chapter of Acts, the followers of Jesus are waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised. And suddenly there came upon them a sound like a mighty wind that filled the house and tongues of fire that appeared from heaven. It was the day of Pentecost, which coincides with the Jewish Feast of Weeks, which is an annual harvest festival uh, that came 50 days after Passover. The feast, this feast, was a, a, a yearly celebration of thanksgiving to the Lord, which is significant because at a time when people were celebrating their crops and the harvest that came, the outpouring of the Spirit of God signaled an immeasurably greater harvest. Sure enough, by the end of that day, about 3,000 people were saved in Christ and restored to God. There was a language barrier to overcome, however. Just like my, inex- uh, my experience in that French campground and the similar barriers that I'm sure you've no doubt experienced or encountered. So in my last sermon on this passage, I urged us to not get... Uh, too sidetracked or sidetracked at all by the gift of tongues that we see here in this passage because that's not the main point of what's happening here but still what are we to do with the gift of tongues what do we make of it and how do we respond to it I'm reflecting on these questions could it be simply this That the Spirit of God works through the witness of God's people by gifting them to share the good news of God's might for the good of those in our world. I want to explain a little bit about, obviously we'll explain this as we walk through this text, but I really think what we're seeing here is that the Spirit of God is working through the witness of God's people by gifting them to share the good news of God's might for the good of those in our world. Let's read it together. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. That's the disciples. Remember from chapter 1, we're told there are about 120 of them in total. Twelve apostles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear 
each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, it is filled with new wine. Shall we pray together? Our almighty God, our good and gracious God, our God who is perfect in power, unfailing in love, faithful and steadfast, we thank you for this time we have again together today to declare your praise, to sing from hearts that overflow with praise. We thank you for um, our opportunity to share life together. We thank you for this time we have in your word, which is life. And we pray that you would breathe new life upon us and into us now. Like these believers who gathered that day in Jerusalem so many years ago, and waited in hope for the arrival of the Spirit of God. And then at the Spirit's coming, had they were set on a path that, that, that literally changed the entire course of their lives and affected the course of the world itself. Like them, here we are all these years later reading of that event and yet sharing in the same Holy Spirit. And so we ask, O Spirit of God, even as we've sung this morning, you are welcome here in this place, and we ask that you would come and have your full reign in our midst. This word that you have inspired, we know that the word of God is inspired by the Spirit of God, and this word that you have inspired, would you now speak it to us? Would you enable our hearing and understanding and oh God would you change us by it would you minister to each each person here uh, would you cause um, our attention to be directed heavenward even as we we reside here on earth would you do this we pray that we might be and become uh, the people you've created us to be for your name's sake for the glory of Jesus Christ for the pleasure of the Father and for the good of the world around us we ask this in Jesus name Amen, Amen. So we read in verse 4 how these early believers filled with the Holy Spirit began speaking in other languages, catch this, as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now that he gave them this ability to speak in other tongues uh, is a work of grace that speaks to the subject of spiritual gifts. There are four main passages in the New Testament that speak specifically on spiritual gifts. They are Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Ephesians 4, and then a couple of verses in 1 Peter 4. You may want to look those up later. But when we take these passages together, we can compile a biblical list of spiritual gifts like prophecy or teaching or giving, hospitality, etc., and the reason why these gifts are given, namely to build up the body of Christ, which is the church. A spiritual gift is a special ability supernaturally given to a Christian believer by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving others and strengthening the church and her ministry. For example, I have been told that I may have the ability to preach and teach God's word effectively. Now, whether that's true or not, that's for you to judge. But that's what I've been told, and here's what I know. I was not born with this ability. I have no recollection of ever teaching groups of people prior to coming to faith in Christ. And so I know that this is not a natural gift, but rather a supernatural spiritual gift, a gift from the Holy Spirit given at His discretion by His grace at some point after my conversion to Christ. Another example. I know people who have the spiritual gift of mercy. Mercy is listed in the Scriptures as a spiritual gift. I I don't have that gift. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't or shouldn't be merciful or kind because I can and should. But I have been with people, and you have too, who are uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit in this way. I've joined them on uh, home or hospital visitations. I've seen them by the bedside of the sick, and I've sat in amazement and admiration at their uncanny ability to provide tremendous care and comfort. You know what I mean? Under the Spirit's direction, it seems they know exactly what to do, not do, what to say, not say, and when to just sit quietly and provide a ministry of Christian presence. Gifted in that way. You see, the Holy Spirit gives to each and every Christian believer certain gifts to be used in service to one another 
in order to fulfill our necessary and respective roles as members of the body of Christ. There's that classic passage in 1 Corinthians that we are all members one to another and one is not more important than the other. And in order for the body to function as God has designed, each member, whether it's a hand or a foot or an eye or a mouth, each member must do its part. These gifts are not distributed according to our merit. We can't earn or demand them. Instead, they are dispersed throughout the church according to God's love and grace. And I just want you to realize what this means. It means the people in this room are a means of divine grace for you. And it means that you are a means of divine grace for them. Now, obviously, the gift seen most clearly in this particular passage is the gift of tongues. I doubt any gift has been so widely celebrated by some and equally contested by others. Even in the passage, even those who are present in Jerusalem at that time were divided in their opinion. Some were amazed and inquisitive. What does this mean? While others mocked and made fun of the whole scene, accusing them of being drunk. A manifestation of the gift of tongues occurs three times in the book of Acts. Here in chapter 2, again in chapter 10, where Peter is seen ministering to Cornelius and his family, and again in chapter 19, where Paul ministered in the city of Ephesus. Tongues is specifically listed as a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, and then explained in greater detail two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, what's unique about this gift, as seen here, is the Spirit-given ability to speak in a known language that you do not already know. But again, this ability is not for your sake, but for the sake of others. It's to serve others and build up the church. Now, that's what occurs here in chapter 2. The Holy Spirit gives the, uh, the believers the ability to speak in the various languages represented by those persons in the crowd. And the crowd is amazed because the people have come from all over. Fifteen different people groups are mentioned in verses 9 through 11, and yet they hear each of them in their own native tongue, these Galilean Jews talking about the mighty works of God. Can you picture this? Now, just to help us, I, want, I, I, I found a graphic here. I want you to see this graphic. Just help us grasp the enormity of what's happening here. So you can see the Jerusalem there is in the center. Uh, and then you have these 15 people groups who are coming from hundreds and thousands. Well, Rome 
the distance from Rome, that's about a little over 1,400 miles. Crete, Cyrene, Arabia, Parthia, Cappadocia, they're all coming. So 15 different people groups, thank you, Tim, stretching across thousands of miles are hearing their specific language being spoken by a small band of blue-collar Jews who probably had never traveled more than a hundred miles from home. I heard somebody once describe it as that's like the cast of Duck Dynasty. Speaking to the nations of the world. The crowd, understandably, wants to know what this means. What does it mean? So Peter stands up to preach and basically interprets what's being said. He preaches on the coming of the Spirit as it had been prophesied. Then the person of Jesus of Nazareth... He preaches Christ crucified and risen from the dead and sure salvation in his name. And at the sermon's conclusion, he calls the people to repent. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 of them are spiritually reborn. New creations in Christ. And so by the Holy Spirit, there came the gift of tongues. By the Holy Spirit... There came a biblical interpretation, and by the Holy Spirit, the church was established and edified. We should not discard the gift of tongues, but rather celebrate it in its right context instead. The problem is that because there's so much misunderstanding and misuse of this gift, We've grown wary and skeptical, haven't we? But I think it's probably because either we've never seen or experienced it ourselves or because we've seen or experienced its abuse. This has never happened to me personally. But I know people, I've spoken with people who at some point in their faith experience were taken into a back room of a church or put on stage in front of the church and essentially forced to speak in tongues or be denied acceptance into the Christian community. Without this gift, they were told, they would not be recognized as having the Holy Spirit and their confession of faith would be considered second class at best or just rejected altogether. Such people have talked with me about how terrifying that is. You can imagine. How burdensome and pressure-packed and how utterly liberating it was to finally break free from that bondage because that is not a biblical understanding of the gift of tongues. Frankly, In my opinion, that is a psychological abuse of power that needs to stop and be spoken against at every turn. 
spiritual gifts cannot be commandeered or coerced in that way. Nor are they about proving ourselves. I need to prove that I'm a Christian. Look at my gift. They're not about puffing ourselves up. Look what a good Christian I am because I have this gift. Not about that. 1 Corinthians 13, what do we know 1 Corinthians 13 as? The love chapter. You need to know this. This context is key. You realize that that chapter falls in the middle of Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts. He begins in chapter 12, moves to chapter 13, and then expounds in chapter 14. So in chapter 13, this is the middle chapter. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Middle chapter, first verse of that chapter, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, that is, it's implied here, love for others. If I, have, if I speak in the tongues of, of men and angels, but I don't love you, if I'm putting you on stage and forcing you, that's not love. If I have not love, then I am a, just a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. That passage we know as the love chapter is then immediately followed in chapter 14, or it's followed in chapter 14 by an explanation of the gift of tongues. It's the, it's the, uh, uh, the most detailed explanation we have biblically of the gift of tongues, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in which guidelines for its usage are taught. We're told it should be an orderly assembly, And rather than fighting over the gift as the Corinthians were, who has it and who doesn't, it's to be others-centered as a way of building them up in love. That's why the Apostle Paul in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, says, he actually says, that it's better to speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Moreover, later in that passage we read, that tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. In other words, the gift's primary intent is to serve the unbeliever by sharing the gospel in in a way that he or she can understand. So, I reject all forms of manipulation when it comes to any spiritual gift, including the gift of tongues. But I absolutely affirm the gift of tongues. I believe in the Holy Spirit, who because He is God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe we live in the age of the Spirit, that He is still on the move in our world today and still empowers people to speak in other languages at a time uh, for a purpose, namely to share the good news of God's mighty works. This thought dawned on me this week. You remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? People from all over had come together in the land of Shinar 
Wanting to make a name for themselves, they purposed to build a great city and a tower to the heavens. And how did God respond? By thwarting their plan and giving them uh, different languages. Before, they all spoke the same language. Now they couldn't, and because they couldn't, they dispersed into like language groups and spread out, we're told, over the face of the entire earth. At Pentecost, however, the exact opposite is happening. In that God brought various people, language groups, together and made it so that they could understand what was being said. Now, here's the catch. With each instance, God was reaching the world. You see that? Which, with each instance, God was reaching the world. At Babel, he disperses people out into the world. At Pentecost, he brings them in from the world. Both instances displayed uh, God's mighty works for the good of all humanity. It says people from every nation under heaven were in Jerusalem at Pentecost. So at a time when they gathered to celebrate an earthly harvest, the Spirit came to gather a heavenly one. As, uh, as it's been said, the first time the Spirit preaches the gospel, He does so in all languages simultaneously. I love that. That's one reason why I don't think what we see here in Acts chapter 2 is prescriptive for the church in all places at all times. I think this describes a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we shouldn't try to mimic or replicate. Because the moment we do is when we make it about us instead of Him, about our name instead of His, about our self-centered good instead of the good of others. It's also why... Obviously, this is speculation. It's also why we shouldn't assume that those first followers of Jesus who were unable to speak in tongues on that great day automatically spoke in tongues from that day forward. Maybe, maybe some did, but I doubt they all could. So I view this scene as more descriptive than prescriptive, though again, I absolutely affirm the gift of tongues as the Spirit seems fit to give it. I love gauging the looks in your faces. <laughs> How does all this apply? I think first and foremost, I think we just need to come to a place where we truly celebrate the Holy Spirit and embrace the reality of spiritual giftedness. Use your gifts to serve others and build up the church. If you don't know what they are, ask. Explore the possibilities. I mean that. Sometimes you learn you have a gift after you've been doing something for a while. Rejoice in the Holy Spirit who provides for us in this way. This is a provision for us. It's an act of love for us. Because he who gives, the giver, is to be 
enjoyed more than the gifts themselves. I read an interesting fact this week that more books about the Holy Spirit have been written in the last 50 to 75 years than were written in all prior years of church history combined. I think that's good. Because by and large, the church has either neglected or ignored the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. As mentioned before, it seems we're much more comfortable with Father, Son, and Holy Bible than we are with the mysterious inconspicuousness of the Holy Spirit. Even this morning, you don't have to answer aloud, but even this morning, I just wonder how many of us are even uncomfortable praising the Holy Spirit as we did in our songs this morning. So I just think first and foremost, we want to celebrate the third person of the Trinity. Now, the Spirit and His role within the Trinity, the Spirit, He's not wanting to draw attention to Himself because His, his role is to direct attention to Jesus. Even here in this chapter, as dramatic as the Spirit's coming was, and it was, notice how quickly Jesus becomes the focal point. Under the Spirit's empowerment, Peter preaches Christ and thousands are saved. So with with this thought, I just wonder, how can we move with the Spirit in a way that makes much of Jesus? That's the question I was thinking through. How do we move with the Spirit in a way that makes much of Jesus? Uh, Few of us... Few of us will likely speak in tongues. I'm just going to throw that out there. Few of us will likely not, how do I want to say it? Not very many of us will speak in tongues, I imagine. But is there something here in this passage on tongues that applies on a practical level? And I think there is. I have two observations. First, notice how the followers of Jesus were out and about with those who didn't follow Jesus at that time. Did you see that? Did you see that in the text? We're told how the believers were together in one place in verse 1, but they, obviously they weren't isolating themselves from others because by the time we get to verse 6, multitudes of people are flocking to them after hearing the sound of the Spirit's arrival. Now this minor detail, for me, has major implications. Uh, Because it's interesting how they waited for the Holy Spirit in a public place, presumably the temple courts. And as the book of Acts unfolds, it's clear that their faith in Jesus remained very public and open for all to see and hear. Now, earlier in chapter 1, they were staying to themselves in the upper room, but now they're rubbing shoulders out in the public square. And this rhythm of Private worship and public engagement is informative and instructive to us. When we come together as a church, it should never be only about us. We come for a Sunday morning worship service 
or a, uh, a prayer meeting or a Bible study or a midweek life group, all of which is very good in that it helps us grow spiritually in the Lord. But let's not seclude ourselves from the world around us because growth in the Lord should propel us out into the world for his name's sake. Filled with the Spirit, they were out among the people. Second, empowered by the Spirit, they spoke in ways that made sense to the listener. Now, obviously, theirs was a unique experience. But realize this. Even without the specific gift of tongues, you and I are are to be witnesses for Jesus who testify to the mighty works of God. So doesn't it make sense, you see where I'm going with this, doesn't it make sense that the more we speak with the listener's understanding in mind, the more effective our communication. When I was in Zambia last summer, there were language and cultural nuances I needed to to learn and know because I wanted to serve them well. I didn't want my lack of knowledge or my ignorance to get in the way. The goal of our impact team was not to blitz the people of Indola with prefabricated American answers. You hear that? The goal was not to blitz the people of Indola with prefabricated American answers. How affected would I have been had I stood before that room of African pastors in the attempt to Americanize their churches? Much better to learn their language, so to speak, right? Even though most of them spoke English, I wanted to learn where they were coming from, their background and circumstance, so that the gospel message wouldn't be lost in our American Christianese. And they did the same for me. This was beautiful. When we sang in their language, oh my goodness, the singing. In, in Bemba, there were two African brothers who just... We just hit it off. And they would stand, Kim's, Kim's and Innocent are their names. Who went out of their way to stand with me. And when we began to sing in Bemba, they would translate the lyrics for me. So that even when I didn't understand the language being sung, I still got the message and could worship with them. In each of our lives, there are people 
who don't understand the message. They don't understand the gospel. Maybe it's the grocery clerk, the barber, the hairdresser, the auto mechanic, the parents and coaches of your child's little league team, the person in the office next to yours, the CEO of the company you work for. Maybe it's your neighbor who's suffering a loss of some sort or the one that's as worldly as they come. I just want us to understand that they don't know what you know. And therefore, try to communicate the message of Jesus in a way that makes sense to them. Now, as we'll see next week with Peter's sermon, this doesn't mean watering down the message, not at all. By all means, boldly declare the mighty works of God in Christ. But but please, drop the Christianese. Those... (laughs) those exclusive, I don't think we realize how exclusive and how cliche those phrases are and really how unhelpful to the listener who doesn't know what you know. Put yourself in their shoes. Remember how it was to not know anything about the Bible. Explain theological terms. Or don't use them. Especially not at first. Like my Zambian pastor friends who took the time to translate for me, we often need to do that for others, all while trusting the Holy Spirit to do the soul-level work only He can do. So again, rejoice in the Spirit of God. Use your spirit-given gifts to serve others and build up the church. Associate with believers and unbelievers alike and aim for understanding because the Spirit of God works through the witness of God's people by gifting them to share the good news of God's might for the good of those in our world. Amen. Father, thank you for the time. Please help us to uh, understand and really appreciate your word. Please uh, apply it to our hearts and lives. Uh, Give us greater understanding. Give us a a greater empathy for those who don't know what we know. uh, And enable us, God, however you see fit, to, to be more effective in our witness and then also to use our gifts to edify and build up your church. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.